and welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We're so glad that you could join us today. We are brought to you, as always, by ProgressiveChristianity.org. Wonderful organization, a place to get all your progressive Christian resources and to learn more about progressive Christianity. Hope you'll follow them on social media, and we hope that you will subscribe to the Moonshine Jesus Show wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're talking about Percy Jackson and the Olympians. It ought to be a lot of fun, but if you haven't seen it, we've got to let you know that there will be spoilers. I am joined, as always, by the one and only Mark Sandlin. How are you doing today, Mark? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. Ready to Good. talk about Percy Jackson, but before we do, yes. I know that we're going to need some drinks. You got one? Absolutely. I do. Well, you know... <clears throat> I figured we're talking about the gods here. The nectar mm -hmm. of the gods is ambrosia. So uh -huh. I went online. I found several, and I mean several, uh, recipes for ambrosia. But the one I went with uh, is coconut rum, mm -hmm. orange juice, um, pineapple juice, and a little bit of grenadine. And uh, then I, I rimmed it with some, some silver stars for the gods. Oh, so, I like how that. How about you? Yeah, what did you end up going with? Ambrosia. So I was inspired by one of the main elements of this uh, this series, which is yeah. Zeus's lightning bolt. And so I've got oh, a drink yeah. here called Zeus's lightning bolt. It's like it. Uh, it's uh, three parts Southern Comfort, one part Amaretto, two parts Sour Mix, and six parts Sprite. So there Sounds it is. Delicious. Yes, Zeus's lightning bolt. Cheers to you, Mark. Cheers, sir. Oh, yeah, that's good. Is that good, sweet ambrosia? Mm. This is lightning bolt. Oh, you might. Yeah, maybe, maybe throughout the course of the show, if things go well. I can guarantee it. <laughs> All right, let's have a sip. Let's come back after the drop. to the geek out segment of our show uh we're going to spend just a little bit of time you know allowing the inner geeks in us out to enjoy talking about percy jackson a little bit but we promise we're going to move straight on pretty quickly into some theological and political um, points that kind of are brought up by this show uh, but for those of you who aren't familiar percy jackson and the olympus is based on a very popular young adults book series and it follows 12 year old percy jackson who turns out to be half human, half god child of Poseidon, uh, also known as a, a half-blood. And he is caught up in a journey across the U.S. to return Zeus's Master Bolt, which we already have a drink themed after, and uh, stop an all-out war, basically. All of this while outrunning monsters and outwitting gods with the help of his two new friends, Annabeth, who is the half-blood daughter of Athena, the goddess of uh, strategy and war, and Grover, uh, who is his half man, half goat guardian. And so, you know, it's just basically your typical story about a teenage demigod trying to stop a war between the gods and save the world and his mother. Pretty straightforward <laughs> stuff here. 
That's right. That old that old story. I've heard it that a million old times. Story. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows this so well. That's right. Yeah. So overall, I'm curious. What did you think about Percy Jackson? And uh, and then after you've told me what you think about it, I'm also curious about what in the show series, the eight it was eight episodes. Eight episodes. Uh, did yeah. you think worked the best for you? And what was kind of the thing that maybe didn't work so well for you? Yeah, so I didn't know much about Percy Jackson. As uh, we talked about last week, I knew that there was a movie that wasn't received so well. So I, but I didn't watch it, and I right. wasn't familiar with the uh, with the young adult novel or or anything like that. So I went into this pretty fresh. Uh, at, it took me a little while to get into it. Uh, yeah. I this wasn't one that grabbed me right away, but I found myself by the the third episode or so uh getting getting pretty invested in the characters and i'll tell you what i think it was for me is uh i i do think that uh greco-roman mythology is really interesting and so i think what what grabbed me was the the more that the gods were brought into it and the less it felt kind of i think um uh maybe young adult fantasy-esque and right. more uh, Greco-Roman myth. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that that was something that I found interesting. I think as far as the, the series, uh, what worked well was once we hit the road uh, and it became mm-hmm. a, a, a road adventure, uh, a road trip kind of adventure on the quest. That was yeah. the part that really started to grab me and where we were going places and, and doing some things uh that that was something that that i found interesting and that that worked for me how about you mark yeah. did did it grab you what worked for you or did yeah, it work? I, I was kind of in the same boat as you almost i also was not familiar i had watched the movie and was quite un- underwhelmed by the movie mm-hmm. and i think that was a christopher columbus movie which is really strange that it was so underwhelming mm-hmm. um but I, 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 and I wasn't familiar with the books at all, um, but I wasn't as familiar with Greek gods and everything as you probably were. They never captured my imagination that much. I knew enough about them. I kind of knew the major ones and some of the stories behind them. Um, but I really liked this series. It's kind of fun. There's nothing, you know, over the top, nothing too intense. There's mm-hmm. not an overly complicated storyline, even though I kind of made fun of the storyline <laughs> in, in introducing it, but it's not really particularly overcomplicated. So yep. I really ended up liking it. I liked it enough that at least my interest in reading the books has been piqued now. Maybe I will because uh, uh-huh. I've always enjoyed young adult sci-fi yeah. fantasy books just because they're nice light reads and you kind of can get lost in them real quickly. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed that. As far as what worked for me, um, yeah. it's sort of similar to what you were saying, like when they hit the road. But I think yeah. the reason that worked for me was the trio. So it's sort of like a, a, a buddy movie mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Yes. That trio worked so well together. They play off each other great. There's a chemistry yep. there. You yep. immediately like want to be a part of their group. You want to kind mm-hmm. of join them alone for this trip. And so that's what worked for me in particular was I thought that that was just the casting on that was fantastic in terms of the chemistry between the three. A lot of fun to watch. Uh, I think the thing that maybe didn't work for me much, and I don't know, maybe it's just the the English major in me. A lot of times the dialogue just felt kind of like stilted. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't. It's like, oh god, I was I was into it right until you said that that line and. 
or yeah. you know why are you like don't don't tell me about it show show me or you know there were things yeah. like that but it in general, I really did. Well, you were talking about how you were kind of into the Greco-Roman world and particularly yep. the gods. I'm curious because I, I really am not that deeply knowledgeable about, knowledgeable about it. Do you think that in this show they could have spent a little more time exploring kind of the Greek mythos? Or, I mean, would it have helped the story or uh, did they miss an opportunity or would it have distracted? What, what do you think? Yeah, I think that we don't necessarily have a ton of knowledge about uh, Greco-Roman mythology, even though it's often a part of kind of school curriculum, high school curriculum, that I don't yeah. think a lot of people have uh, a lot of knowledge about how that really works or uh, the difference between Greek and, and Roman gods. I think there's a lot of confusion about that. I think that they, they helped us to navigate like the the big three and helped us to understand their relationship with uh to one another and i i do think we got some interesting exploration of how uh greco-roman gods are portrayed and mm -hmm. i thought that was interesting but yeah i think it, it would have been helpful to know a little bit more say about chronos and uh it, let's uh, if chronos is going to be our big bad why, why should we be afraid of Kronos? Right. Uh, or, um, uh, I, I think we didn't get a, a lot of ex explanation about, about that if we're not real familiar with, uh, with these myths. I think also we don't get a lot of insight into why the gods might, uh, might be um, afraid of, of demigods, uh, why it is that they, they might want to be keeping their, their distance from, from them and humans. I, we got a, a few explanations here and there. But again, if, if these are going to be the people that we're afraid of, I think they, they need to give us yeah. a little bit more reason to, to be afraid uh, of of the gods. So did, that, did you feel like they explored it adequately? Yeah, you, 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 you hit a couple of the things that, that I, I wasn't sure because yeah. like, again, I said, I went through the normal, what you learn in school, but it didn't fascinate me enough that I went and dove deeper into it. Um, I 100% think we needed more on Kronos. Yeah. Uh, that I think he could have been significantly more uh, frightening and of a threat than what he is uh, currently if we had had more background. Uh, as for, you know, Sidon and Poseidon and, and Zeus, I kind of thought, you know, I wouldn't have mind having more, but I'm not sure outside of kind of the educational value of it, what it would have added or not. So I, I wasn't ever quite sure. And I was yeah. curious from a person who maybe had a little more background in it. Uh, an, another question I'm curious about, yeah. um, you know, this is basically your hero's quest story. Mm -hmm. Did did you see anything more than that going on here? Or is this really, truly just a young adult's hero's quest? Uh, was there any other kind of depth to it besides a straightforward, you know, hero's journey? Well, I thought one of the interesting things that we we got in the show was a, a real struggle some with with identity and um, about what it means to kind of be ostracized and to kind of come into to who you are. And I think they were trying to deal with some kind of social issues broadly in there. And I so I think we we see that like so like ADHD. 
D and daydreaming and stuff, they say that the gods' brains process things differently. And so these are not a deficit, but these are things that really are are um, are an advantage to you. And so I, I think we saw some uh, struggle with identity. I don't know that we really, I, or I guess I don't know that I felt like there was really that much at stake uh, for, for Percy. I mean, we got to see him mm -hmm. in his boarding school for like half of one episode and then, so i'm not sure i really got to to feel the suffering that percy was uh experiencing uh, right. before he discovered that he was a demigod and not just a demigod but one who could slay a mentor with no practice whatsoever <laughs> uh, so so a pretty special one at that um i, I so there's a little bit of that what did you see going on Mark, did you see? Uh, no, I, I really think it. No, I really think it's just basically a hero's quest story. Uh, I do like that they took very seriously that it was a teen that was going through this hero's quest. Mm -hmm. So we, the challenges and obstacles that the teen has to overcome reflected a lot of modern day's challenges and obstacles. Some of which you were bringing up, which I really liked that twist on it. Um, but beyond that, I, I don't think they did much more other than just tell a hero's quest story, which, you know, we talked before about, I really do think that sometimes we need to just let something be fun mm -hmm. and it doesn't yep. have to be high end and yep. And that's what this was. And that's what hero yep. quest stories are. They're just fun. Yeah. You can analyze yep. them to death and talk about all kinds of ways of how they're unhealthy and they teach unhealthy things and they don't, you know, not realistic based on what, life is really like but sometimes they're just fun and this, this one was, was fun it, it was, was fun. fun the whole time it was entertaining you stayed engaged you mm -hmm. you know well it's talking about staying engaged what did you yeah. think of percy jackson the character was it an engaging character for you um did did he was he was he a, a character that inspired you uh, would you follow him would you follow him in the battle against gods <laughs> I think I would follow Annabeth into uh, uh, oh, a yeah. battle against She's God. sharp as crap. <laughs> she was. She she knew her stuff. I yeah. I like I liked Percy. I thought I thought the actor was was great. I mean, yeah. he was pretty charismatic. That he was he was fun to watch and funny. And I thought that that added a lot to the show. Um, so I think that I think it was interesting how sometimes. Percy seemed to be an expert on Greco-Roman mythology, and at other times, he didn't seem like he knew anything about it. And the same for Annabeth and Grover, that at times they were experts on everything, and at times uh, things that seems like they should have known Percy had to explain to them, which was confusing. But I, I think that um, I, I think that as, on a, as a whole, I think he was a compelling character to watch. I enjoyed watching him. And as you noted earlier, I think particularly when he was paired with Annabeth and Grover, that that was yeah. a fun trio to watch. And, you know, I don't think that even, even though the odds were stacked against them, I think it was uh, clear they were going to accomplish their quest in yeah. some way, even if it wasn't by the solstice, that, oh, <laughs> that they were still going to accomplish their quest. Did you that's feel compelled? Fair. Did you want to watch uh, Percy? I wanted to be around Percy, but I don't know that I that I had instilled, I, I don't know that I had instilled in me, ah, 
if we've got to take the gods on, this is the guy to do this it. This is the I guy. <laughs> I mean, he won a lot of battles. And yep. if you if you think back on it, almost every, I think every battle he did win was around water. The Minotaur, it was a raining. Uh, in, the, in the capture the flag game, he finally won the battle when he was right up against the lake. Uh-huh. Beats Ares when uh, he's right next to the ocean and call, he causes yeah. a... So, I mean, if you had seen that and figured that out, then maybe you'd feel inspired to go in, but I don't think most yeah. common... Yeah. You, you, would, you wouldn't have just picked that out. I got one more question real quickly yeah. to squeeze in here. Um, I've heard that there are folks who are really pretty upset about the show not following the book closely mm. enough. Mm -hmm. Even though uh, the author, Rick... Roridan uh, was on the set and he approved any and all mm -hmm. changes mm -hmm. to the storyline. Yep. My question is actually more general though. Yep. What are your thoughts about how closely cinema should follow the books that they're based on? Yeah. So I think this is an interesting question that they, you always have to deal with whenever you're adapting a story from one medium right. to another, to another, no matter which way that is going. And I think it's important to recognize that they are different mediums and some things work in print that don't work visually. And I think you have to make adjustments or just some, some stories that you can't tell in quite the same way. Uh, mm -hmm. With that being said, you can also take, too much artistic license and drift uh, too far away from the story to to a point that that you wonder hmm is this even really inspired by <laughs> the the other book so i think it's a i think it's an art right it's an art right. to figure out exactly where the balance is on that and what's going to make uh, the the strongest visual medium. Do you have op opinions, Mark? I know that you've done a lot of film study, a, a lot of yeah. a, a lot of. No, uh, I think you stated it. I, I think you stated it really well. I, um, you know, it comes first. It comes down to how beloved is the book, and if it's mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. beloved, and you mm -hmm. want to have a successful movie, follow it closely enough. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think that we've hit a time in the last five years or so uh, where the internet has just gone nuts and people just look for the thing that they can yell and scream about and <laughs> any variation causes them to just lose their minds. Uh, and if they sat down long enough, they'd realize, you know, this is actually serving a, a better purpose than it, the way it was done in the book, mm. to put it, mm -hmm. to put it up on screen visually. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think it's an art, uh, but I think there are some there are some rules you can follow pretty pretty well about how beloved is it. Am I changing uh -huh. the main character? Am I changing secondary characters? Am I am I changing the overall storyline severely, or am I changing it so that we can speed the story up enough to get mm -hmm. to the conclusion? Yeah, uh, it's a tricky thing for sure. But I do think that there is a there's a lot of fans out there who have really lost their minds. <laughs> need to just reel it back in a little bit. <laughs> Enjoy it. I mean, look, Go on the you, already know, you already know the story in the book. Now you get another version of that. It's new. <laughs> it's fresh. Enjoy that. I don't know. All right. Listen, we could uh, talk a little more about that. I certainly have even stronger uh, feelings about it, but we need to move on and get into our theopolitical segment. So we'll take a quick drop and catch you all on the other side. <laughs> Thank you.
welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. Thanks for letting us geek out for a little bit. Uh, it's just not as much fun if we don't let our geek flags fly a little exactly. bit, is it, Mark? Yeah, we've we've got to geek out. Yeah, absolutely. But we we are also people who are really interested in theology and politics, and this is our Theopolitico segment. And Mark, I think since this is pretty heavy on theology, uh, the mm -hmm the gods and all i i want to lean into that a little bit this segment so mm -hmm. we find out that demigods are of course part human part divine uh, wait i i thought that started with jesus i thought with no. Oh, it... oh no wait it didn't did it wait <laughs> uh, okay no, wait they Mark, probably copied them they probably copied them retroactively <laughs> oh, that's probably right. Yes. Yeah. They they, <laughs> they went back in time. And, okay. So they I are gods know. after all. They can. They are they, gods. They can just rewrite things. They can travel in time. See what? See? Oh, look at this Jesus guy. Look what he's doing. Kind of <laughs> yeah, like that half god, good. half yeah, first let's, human let's thing. Go back. That's a good. That's a good way of doing it. We're gonna try it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Obviously, uh, right. the, the Christianity has, um, you know, has kind of portrayed Jesus as this uh, interesting kind of fully human, fully divine character. But like, there, that's very common in other places. But I want to know, Mark, how do we navigate and understand Jesus's relation to gods? to to god or or gods or right. and how is that how does that relate to like demigods or other myths in other cultures right well i mean for 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 me um in jesus what we have is a person who has a, a, a one of the fullest understandings of what god is and how mm -hmm. we relate to god and how to be in communion with god um it so much so that he would communicate that on some level that he and God are one and the same, but he also believed that you and God are one and the same and that your neighbor and even your enemy are one and one and the same. Um, and so I, I have, I personally have a lot of problems with the fully human, fully God, because the fully mm -hmm. God part mm -hmm. uh, for me is um, we would call it problematic. Um, so if I'm supposed to follow uh -huh. the teachings of this Jesus character, uh -huh. right? But he's fully God. What are the odds that I'm ever going to be able? Because I can promise you, what I, that's going to be hard. I, it's going to be really difficult, <laughs> and uh, I'm not. I, I, yeah, um, but if he is a human who has come to this kind of understanding, deep mm -hmm. knowledge, and this sort of yep. elevated spirituality, well, that's very hopeful. I, I can mm -hmm. I can at least attempt to move towards that and live into it. Um, so I, in general, I just don't, I don't like that language that we have hung onto so dearly, uh, for so yeah. long as the Christian church, but I also just don't think it's real heavily biblical. I mean, there's hints that yeah. if you read it the right way, you can say, well, isn't that what that's saying? But my answer is no, that's not actually what it's saying. I mean, how do how do you feel about the whole thing and the relationship between Jesus and God and, and who Jesus really was? Yeah, I 
also find that deeply problematic. <laughs> and uh, I I love the way that Borg talks about it, the very similar way to the way that you were just describing, Marcus Borg saying that there have been a number of spirit people throughout history, uh, people who have been more in tune to the divine, uh, Lao Tzu or uh, Confucius or the Buddha or Jesus or Muhammad, um, Bahá'u'lláh. A number of spiritual teachers, Gandhi, King, people who have been more in tune to to what this divine source beyond us, this luminous web is doing and how that uh, and, and they can teach us from that. And so I find that to be a, a much more helpful way of, of thinking about things. And mm -hmm. you know, I think we can still acknowledge that maybe there are other people who have had a, a relationship to God like that without that right. hurting our, our commitment as like uh, people <laughs> who consider ourselves to be Jesus followers that, yeah. that I don't think that's, that's mutually exclusive. And I think mm -hmm. the church would be in a better place if we, uh, if we stop deifying Jesus and we're more willing to actually try to, to follow his, teachings so john, i blame john john yes uh, <laughs> i blame john for that you know yeah i have a love-hate relationship <laughs> with john the gospel of john because um for a long time i really really hated the gospel of john honestly right? um and you know so back to borg you know and meeting jesus again for the first time he talks about how he felt betrayed by the author of the gospel of john because mm -hmm a lot of the stuff that he said just wasn't historical right i mean where right. he gives yeah. us this high christology where jesus is more divine and he said that that really screwed me up and it screwed up a lot of the church and uh and then he said you know but i i realized that that wasn't the point of the gospel of john to get right. uh, a historic that it's it's a poetic statement of a poetic statement about jesus there are other problems in it but uh, but I have a love-hate relationship with that. Do you, do you love it or hate it, Mark? <laughs> uh, I, I still mostly hate it. <laughs> I think I, I, I like a lot of the parables when you isolate them. I, I really like yeah. they're told really well. Some good good storytelling going on there. Yeah. I, and and I t in, in fairness, I, I don't hate the Gospel of John as much as I hate how easily it is misconstrued to make Jesus a god. That's what I really hate. Yeah. And the passion narrative. If we could get rid of the passion narrative in the gospel of yes, John, please. I think we would be uh, much better so off much theologically. Better off. <laughs> but, 100%. Uh, so as we move You're into right. Lent, uh, if we could just avoid John, that would be all wonderful. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, I think demigods are interesting, Mark. And so mm. we got a, a lot of talk about demigods. And we, we talked about how they're kind of half human, half God. But demigods are called half-bloods, as you mentioned earlier. Mm. And they're treated as sort of second-class citizens, not really accepted by the human world because they can kind of see beyond the magic of the realm. They're not right. really treated as, uh, as gods because they're not full gods. And so that reminded me in the gospels of the Samaritans, right? Samaria was right. kind of uh, this place that was seen as people of half breed, half blood by the mm -hmm. Judeans. And so uh, I wonder, Mark, do you see any parallels with that today, you see any half-blood parallels anywhere in the United States? Well, I, 
you know, one of the things about calling someone a half blood or that kind of thing is that you're essentially dehumanizing them. You're trying mm -hmm. to make them mm -hmm. something so other that you can mm -hmm. have more negative thoughts about them than you might want to have about someone that you believe is, is equal to you in some way. And yeah. so I think in particular where we see that, particularly in the United States, is at the border. Um, mm -hmm. Language is used so much calling people who are crossing, you know, uh, co cockroaches or rats mm -hmm. or all kinds of things to try to dehumanize them, to make them fit, sound like uh, in, and, and be thought of as somehow less than and desert, not deserving the same treatment uh, that most humans and human rights would demand for them. So um, like most immediately, that's where it comes off for me. Of course, we're lowering them rather than raising them above like a demigod is somewhere between gods mm -hmm. and, and hu humans. And when yeah. we now try to dehumanize people, we tend to want to make them less than so that we can feel superior and feel like, you know, I, I deserve things that they don't deserve. Of course, I think most Americans kind of see ourselves as gods, don't we? Uh, and uh, and other and other people as maybe uh, maybe maybe human <laughs> down there. Uh, and so uh, you know, I I think this uh, this dehumanization that you're talking about is going to be real important in the coming months as we're going up to this There's election. No I I keep thinking, Mark, about uh, Trump in 2016 and in 2020, and the way that that. Anyone who disagreed with him was dehumanized. Anyone who had any yep. kind of difference was was dehumanized. But I think you're you're particularly right about the people at the border. That man, did we see a, a lot of dehumanization? Horrible people rhetoric. Who, who who yes, who weren't seen as as even fully human. And so I think that clearly that's yep. that's uh, antithetical to the to the gospel. Hey, so when here's a question I've got for you, Mark. Um, okay. a, a theological question I need to know the answer to. So when Percy learns, you, you might be asking the wrong person if you need the answer. <laughs> I need the answer to this, Mark. I have to have it because this is this is something this is something that just struck me as really odd. In, okay, in the I'm curious of of this. Uh, so when Percy learns that his father is a god, yeah. uh, he specifically mentions Jesus. His mom says, your father's a god. And he's so. like, what, like Jesus? Oh, uh, I forgot all about and, that. Yeah. And his mom says, not God, a god. So I'm curious, Mark, uh, where does that put god like yahweh like the judeo-christian god in the pantheon of greco-roman gods if if uh if all of these other gods are just gods but they're not they're not god they're they're just some gods you know what <laughs> is that, is that you know what? I, I could i could be really yahweh? i could be really snarky about this uh <laughs> but you know what i'm going to actually go with my theological answer to this okay that if, if there are other gods if there are uh -huh. greek gods mm -hmm. that yes they're not yahweh mm -hmm. yahweh is the source the stuff that all things are made of including other gods uh we are all a wave in the ocean and dripping with the wetness of god so of course other gods are made up of, or consist of, or are an image of Yahweh. So Yahweh would have to be above them, right? 
<laughs> so I think that Steve Myers, I, I love that. Steve Myers raises an interesting point about Council of Gods. And so oh. I think that this is fascinating because we like to think of the Judeo-Christian tradition as monotheistic, right? Yeah. We often claim that Judaism is the first monotheistic religion, but it's mm -hmm. like not as monotheistic as a lot of people think because think there were like a council of God, like a royal court. And right. like, it's I right think there in Genesis. It's right there right. in Genesis. Let us make we, them uh, in our image. Yes. And, and it's not Trinitarian, right, Mark? No. Oh, nowhere <laughs> close to Trinitarian. <laughs> so I think, I think here in the show, I think uh, it's, it's playing to American culture, right? They can't, it's like, oh, you can't 100%. talk about, <laughs> you can't talk about gods unless they all report ultimately to, to, to the big God. guy. Yeah. <laughs> we can't oh, have a show gosh. in America that's about, uh, about gods that aren't, aren't the God. That's hey, right. look, I, I have a million more theological no questions doubt. just because, uh, uh, I I really want to geek out about theology, but you know what? If if we do, we won't yeah. get to the make me look stupid segment, and oh, we can't we've got to get there. No, yeah. no, it's not the Moonshine yeah. Jesus show without that segment. So why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and we'll try to make each other look stupid. <laughs> Welcome to our Make Me Look Stupid segment. Uh, and in this segment, we like to try to stomp our co-host, or at least ask a question we don't know the answer to in hopes that maybe they can enlighten us. So I, I'm going to go ahead and start off with my question right off the bat. Um, at the at, Near the end of the final episode, mm -hmm. Percy has a dream. Mm -hmm. And Kronos shows up at the door of the, his yes. mom's beach house. Mm -hmm. And in that conversation, you kind of pick up on, even though Kronos is the big bad through all of this, yeah. Kronos wants to make sure that Percy survives. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's important to Kronos, the big bad, to have the hero of the story stick around, uh, other than the fact that he wants to get paid for season two? Other than that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he says that Percy <laughs> is an integral part of his plan. So is he planning to frame Percy a second time for a similar story arc the second season? Um, yeah. I, I, I think that I think that's what's going to happen. I think that that he is going to he's going to try and manipulate Percy. I think that one of the things that we see at the um, at, kind of at the end is the um, Chiron <laughs> mentioning to Percy that a, a part of this, kind of makes sense to him uh an anger towards the gods and even though ultimately percy got to connect with his father poseidon they didn't really get any kind of emotional right. uh you know attachment or any kind of um, the strengthening of their relationship so i think we're going to see in the in the second season 
Uh, mm. Percy's struggle with what his relationship with the gods needs to be uh, even more than he did in this season. And I think that temporarily Kronos is going to recruit him to his side. And uh, mm. I think that that when he's talking about you being key, uh, that he that Kronos thinks he's going to convert for good. But I think what we're going to see is him convert for a time, then have a realization that that actually uh, that his his father and Zeus, uh, Hades, they're they're on the right side against Kronos. That's what I think it's about. What do you think? Well, I kind of backed into what it might be about. Um, yeah, I was thinking about Luke talking about Kronos and saying, you know, Kronos wants to take down the gods and that's a good thing. We need to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and so I said, okay, so Kronos's main instinct, the main like point right now is take down the gods. I think that maybe in the first episode, we're going to get some kind of, someone's a foretelling, a revelation of something yeah. that's going to say one of the, the half-blood children mm-hmm. will, will destroy Olympia. Mm-hmm. And that Kronos is going to assume that that is Percy and mm-hmm. that it's going to end up being someone else, maybe even Luke. I don't know, mm-hmm. but that Percy's actually by keeping him alive, Percy's going to actually prevent Olympus from being destroyed. Once he mm-hmm. sorts out who it is, that's supposed to destroy it and how it's going to be destroyed. It's a wild guess, just trying to back into it, <laughs> but that's where I would go with it. But I love whenever we take positions on things and then we're able to come back and say, well, come back and say, hmm. Mark was right on that. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> and Caleb was way off. <laughs> uh, okay. I've got a question for you. Guys. Yes, please. Okay. So I felt like I, I really, I ended up really enjoying this season, actually. Mm, I, I had some issues too. with it, uh, but I really enjoyed the season. One of the things, though, that I found frustrating was it felt like there were some plot holes uh, that I didn't feel like ever really got filled in. Um, and mm. one of those for me was, um, you know, as they're on their hero quest across the United States, they are causing a lot of chaos uh, the police think that they have crashed a, an Amtrak train. They they think that they helped to blow up the arch in St. Louis. You know, they're causing a lot of mischief. And, yeah. uh, and so much so that they have to depend on Ares to help get them across the country to see Hermes, right? Uh, because because they're, <laughs> they're on wanted posters and they're, they're on the news and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they, they go through, they complete their quest um how come they can go around and continue their life as as usual what happened to them being wanted criminals mark uh how did they uh, make peace with the authorities and not end up in jail (laughs) Uh, well they're the children of gods i'm assuming that there was some intervention of the gods to kind of make people gently forget exactly what happened that's the only thing i could come up with and that's just me needing to explain it away <laughs> because <laughs> you're exactly right it makes no sense there's a, there's a, another piece that makes no sense that so in the first episode we see that percy's learning all about the history uh-huh. of the gods yeah. right yeah one must assume he learns the history of the person 
who beheads Medusa, Perseus, mm-hmm. and then he meets Medusa, <laughs> even though a person who basically has his name As took be- her head off. <laughs> Wait a like, I was going, come, come, come on, Percy. How does this, ta- how does, how does this timeline, this makes and, no sense. The other thing uh, I want to know while we're talking about it yeah. and, yeah. Uh, is how do they know that the Empire State Building is the is entrance the to Mount Olympus? It, I'm having to assume that's Annabeth, just that she knew like where her mom's, one of her mom's centers was in the arch. Yeah, I don't know, but it's a good question. Or maybe <laughs> in Medusa, maybe in Medusa's book where they like find the maybe address. There was <laughs> maybe there was some instruction. If, well, if you true. find Lin Manuel Miranda, follow him <laughs> up, up to the Empire State Building. I don't know. Uh, so, so what? Was, what, what was your answer as to why they got away with it? I, I, I. I genuinely did not know. I I, I yeah. thought, well, I guess the end universe explanation is well, they must have used the magic of the the realm to further obscure right. the stuff. But but they didn't they didn't say that. They didn't no, explain they it. Didn't. The the last we heard, they couldn't go anywhere because they were they need to be in fear of the authorities. And next thing you know, well, uh, Percy's going back to. To school <laughs> with his mom right. and uh, just traveling around doing, doing fine. Uh, so yeah. I I would have liked to have seen some some more explanations to, to things, but I Fair ultimately enough. I don't think it it took away from. The I don't either. Project. It was it was still a lot of fun. So listen, yeah. uh, we need to figure out what we're going to do next week. We're we're going yeah. to in two weeks. Uh, Madam Web comes out. Ooh, yeah. But next week, I'm just not seeing a lot of new sci-fi or fantasy uh-huh. that's going around. Do you have any thoughts on what we could fill the gap in with? Well, it, Madam Web, that's in the same universe as Venom, right? It's supposed to be, yeah, the, the uh, Sony uh, Spider universe. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we haven't ever talked about Venom on the Moonshine True. Music Show. Should we watch that it's it's a few years old but everyone would have access yeah. to it we could watch it get ready for madam web which i think is going to be a lot of fun would I that so be too. a fun show to do i think that would be a lot of fun and on top yeah. of it uh venom three i'm pretty sure comes out at the end of this year so we're kind of setting okay. ourselves up okay. we could we could do venom two some point in the future okay or venom three oh, we get them all in oh, we also might idea. learn something about the universe that could play out well for uh madam madam web i think this is a great plan i'm in okay venom that's planned for next time well listen we uh are very appreciative of all of you who have either watched us live or are listening back on podcasts you've stuck with us for uh a good 45 minutes and you know what i know sitting here listening to caleb for 45 minutes is not the easiest thing to do it's not Uh, it's torture (laughs) (laughs) and the same holds for me as well so but that just means we're even doubly appreciative of all of you uh who do tune into the show uh you give us our reason for doing this and we are very appreciative so thank you thank you thank you and until next time we'll see you again on the moonshine jesus show moonshine jesus